Here we go. John 21, 2, it says this. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. I'm actually going to count that. Give me a second. So we have Simon 1, Thomas 2, Nathaniel 3. There were two sons of Zebedee, that's five, and then two others who didn't want their names written down. So seven of Jesus's 10, 11 disciples, seven out of the 11, they went fishing. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out immediately and got into the boat, and that night they caught Sounds like when I go fishing, they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered him, we ain't got none. This is what I think that's what they said. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. Here's key. Matter of fact, if you have your own Bible, underline this. For he had removed it. Peter took his garment off and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of those little fish that you caught, which you have just caught. Father God, here is our worship. God, all of our worship. God, our worship's not just a song. Our worship's not just a Sunday. Our worship is our lives. God, in this moment, we lay our lives before you. We say, have your way. Use us as you will. God, as you speak to us in this moment, we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. Come on, Columbia. Somebody shout amen. Amen. We are uh, four months away from baby number three. And uh, those of you that are clapping and celebrating, we're grateful for that. I ask that you turn those claps into prayers. Uh, I was just talking to uh, one of our staff members who just had their second child, and I said, man, when we went from one to two, it was a game changer. I don't know if we had a calm number one, and Zoe, she didn't sleep much at night, but she would sleep in restaurants. So when we had one kid, we would put Zoe in the little car seat. We'd head into the restaurant, put her in the little booth. She would sleep for like three hours straight. She might wake up once, give her a bottle, and she's good. So for us, life didn't really change in terms of date nights and all that other good stuff when we had one child. Now, when two came, it was a game changer. We might have well gone from one to 12, looking like the Brady Bunch, because, I mean, we were getting our, we were in trouble. We were just in trouble. We didn't know which way was up. We had, when one is sleeping, the other's awake. When one's awake, the other's sleeping. Now we have three. So I, I just like to let you know, if, if you don't see me for a few months, um, send somebody. 
Uh, he's probably tied up in the basement. They've taken over the house. They are in control. But as we're getting ready for this third child, my wife has gotten into full, like, nesting mode. I walk in, and there's walls painted. There's wallpaper up and all that. And I, I'm getting flashbacks from our last child because whenever babies come, that's when it's time to get furniture. You have bassinets and car seats and strollers and all that other good stuff. And I have a little bit of PTSD from the last time because there's all this stuff that comes to the house as she looks at me and she's like, oh, can you set this up for me? And the way she says it, it's just like, ah, it'll take you like 15 minutes. It's not a big deal. It's just a rocker. It's just a bassinet. It must be the bassinet from hell. Because this thing comes with like 3,095 different pieces and like 29 different languages on how to put this impossible thing together. So the next three weeks of my life will be put into prayer, reading the Bible, and assembling baby furniture. God help me. The stuff that I hate the most, though, are those play pens that don't really need any assembly. It's all kind of just connected. All you got to do is like stretch it out and pop out the little thing and, it, and it's safe. I cannot tell you and don't judge me, pray for me. How many times I've put my child in one of those things and the whole thing collapsed on them. And I'm just like, it looked like it was assembled when I... The problem is because it comes pre-assembled, it doesn't come with a manual. There's no instructions on how to pop this thing up, how to put the changing pad here. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, can we just burn it? Like, I'm sure they didn't have play pens like 100 years ago. They just held the kid. Can we, can we go back to that or something? It's when things don't come with a manual that will put you in a position where you are ready to jump off a bridge. Somebody say, let's preach. I've found that revival doesn't come with a manual. That when God is getting ready to do something supernatural in your life, in your church, in the community, for some reason, he leaves the instructions out. And I know it might make you uncomfortable for me to say I get frustrated with God, but I get frustrated with God because he allowed us to go through a pandemic and he didn't give us a manual on how to do it. He didn't give us a, hey, 60 days and it's going to be good. Don't worry about it. I'm just turning everybody's heart back to me. Like, matter of fact, he didn't even warn us. And if he did, none of the prophets caught it. Come on now. Can we, can we throw some prophets under the bus just for a second? Coming out here, 2020 is going to be your year of perfect vision. You're going, well, why didn't you see this coming if you got perfect vision? Blindsided up the back of our heads. We still <laughs> pray for me. I need some therapy. I'm making through this. As we get through the resurrection, you guys understand that the resurrection was the greatest event of history. Like this was the moment that Jesus won the ultimate victory over hell, death, and the grave. Not only did he purchase our salvation and our eternity, but he said, all authority has been given to me. Now I give it unto you. There was not a greater event in all of history. You know what happened after the resurrection? Nothing. Nothing. It's like the day after Christmas. You open all your gifts, you wake up, your relatives have stolen all the leftovers, 
Your house is trash. You're like, huh? Christmas is over. Now what? Like the greatest event in history. I would have thought the day after the resurrection, 3,000 people would have got saved like that. I would have thought the day after the resurrection that, you know, Abraham and Moses and Ezekiel would just pop out of the grave and just start walking. I would have thought it would have been crazy revival. But instead of crazy revival, it was hide and go seek. Jesus would step into a wall, peace be unto you. Here's the nail print and then disappear for seven days. And the disciples are just sitting around like, what do I do now? Hear me. This is why the Savior that we follow is a savage. Because he has always been the God of, I'll let you know when you get there. He has always been the God of, I'm not giving you 15 steps. Because it doesn't take faith to have 15 steps. Here's what I'm going to give you. Go. Come on, Abram. And I'll let you know when you get there. Can you imagine what it was like being Abraham? Am I there yet? Am I there yet? It's like hot. Am I hot? Am I hot? Am I cold? Am I cold? He's like, just keep going, and I'll let you know when you get there. One of the things that I found in the season of the unknown, it is so tempting to give up. When you don't really have what the next step from Jesus is, when you expect this amazing revival, and instead of amazing revival, you get Tuesday. It's so easy to say, you know what, this is for the birds. I'm moving on. For those 336 people that gave your life to Christ next, last week, that is the greatest decision you could have ever made in your life. Here's the problem. After you said that prayer and you surrendered your life to Jesus, you went home to the same home that you left that morning. And it's some of the same problem. And yes, I felt a little bit of peace. I felt accepted by God. I felt the guilt and the shame lift off of me. But now it's seven days later and I would have thought that something more would have happened by now. Maybe you call Destiny Church home or you call I-5 City home and we've been talking about we're going to merge. We're about to be union. Union! Well, we're union now. And we're looking like, all right, God. <laughs> union. I even got the T-shirt. <laughs> all right. Now what? Can, can I talk? Now what? Uh, what are you, you going to do with this thing? I, I, I tell you right now, I'm so excited about the future of Union. God is going to bring revival. To 336 people getting saved is just the beginning. The former Destiny Church, we were known for being kind of a young church. I was walking into this place yesterday. I had my mask on. They're like, you look like you're 15. I wouldn't be like, your mother, but I can't say that because I'm a preacher. So I just smiled. I took my mask off. I told him about my gray hair, which kind of gives me some street cred. I'm not 15. I'm 16. Leave me alone. But Destiny's just kind of had the, the experience of, you know, it's kind of this young church and energy and all that other good stuff. And I don't know how many get to I-5 because I can't call y'all old church. Mature, 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 mature. Watch it now. I know why. Hey, well, listen, new guy. Listen. <laughs> 
it's, it's, it's known for, for being more established and more mature. But hear me, that's God's plan. Because the Bible says that God calls the young because they're strong. But he calls the, I'm not going to get in trouble, the mature because they're wise. And I've always, I always like pushed against the destiny. I said, no, no, we're not a young church. Because if we're a young church, that means we're strong and dumb. Come on now. And it's not a mature church because if it is, that means you're wise and weak. It's the two coming together that we're now strong and wise. Somebody say amen. The future is bright. But what about right now? Jesus, what are you up to? Where, where do I go? What do I do? I, and here's our problem, and you're going to find out I'm real comfortable when I preach. We're just going to talk this out. Because we know the Bible, and we know Acts 2 is coming, and there's a moment of revival when 3,000 get saved and everybody hears the gospel in their own language. We're telling the disciples, ah, chill out. It's only like 40 days to the day of Pentecost. And you're, but you have to understand, those 40 days felt like an eternity. Because they're like, Jesus, God is ready for this day. The day came and left. And now, now he's not even preaching to crowds anymore. It's like we've regressed from where we were before the resurrection. I want to give you just three, three thoughts, three things to just unpack, whether you recently surrendered your life to Christ, whether you're a part of this new union church, whether you're believing God for revival, what do I do in the in-between? What do I do when I know the promise is coming? It's just not necessarily tomorrow. The first thing is this, if you can write this down, resist the urge to drift. One of the most important things you can do in a season when you're not quite sure what to do is resist the urge to drift. My wife and I moved into a new home about two years ago, and it was about 15 minutes away from where we used to live. And within the first few months of moving, I found myself in a situation at the end of work driving to the wrong house. You, you ever in that situation? Where you, you just kind of, and especially if you have kids, and, and, and this, I'm going to get myself in trouble, but, but because I have kids, my only moment of peace is the 15 minutes between work and home. You get in the car, you call the one friend that you have, this is the only time I have to talk, man, how you doing? You doing all right? Your kids tied you up yet? You just get one moment of breathe, maybe throw on a podcast. When I'm in my car, I'm not really thinking. I'm just kind of in autopilot. And time and time again, without even realizing it, I get off on the wrong exit. And it's not until I, I realized, because I wasn't paying attention, I was going back to what was familiar. The new house was better. The new house was bigger. The new house was more beautiful. It just wasn't familiar. And sometimes we will pass up better, bigger, and more beautiful for what is familiar. Because even though what's ahead of me looks better, I'm not comfortable there. I'm not familiar with there. I don't know how to operate there. I want what's comfortable. 
Peter said, I'm going fishing. Who's with me? There's such a temptation when not much is going on in your life. I'm going to get in trouble, but I don't care. To drift back to that old boyfriend, that old girlfriend, that old job that you left to start your own business. And now because your business isn't taken off as quickly as you thought it would be, you begin to think, maybe if I, it, 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 we start saying things, I'm, I'm just going to pick up some side work. I'm, I'm just going to do it, you know, part. And before you know it, you find yourself having drifted back to the exact place where Jesus found you and brought you out of. We got to learn to resist the urge to drift. Well, if I'm not going to drift, what am I going to do? Any grandmas, anybody, your grandma told you idle hands? Come on now. Are <laughs> the devil's playground? <laughs> I'm, I'm past that. I'm not just going to sit there and do nothing. I'm not just going to twiddle my thumbs. I, I got to do something. What do, here's what you do. You do the last thing Jesus told you to do. If he hasn't given you any new instructions, well, just continue to do what he last told you until he gives you new instructions. If there's no new instructions, it must be continue to do what I Well, what's the last thing he told the disciples? In John 17, 20, he said this, I pray for not these alone, but also, come on, watch this, for the 336 that got saved last weekend. Jesus prayed for you before you even surrendered your life to him. Thousands of years before you knew him, he knew you. He said, here's my prayer for you, that you may be one. As you, as I, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Here's my prayer, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Here's the last thing that Jesus told his disciples before the resurrection. Don't break up. Don't get isolated. Don't go off on your own. Stay one. And if you stay one, you'll be good. He was getting them ready for the upper room in the book of Acts. He was getting them ready for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when it says when they had become one and were unified, then the power of God poured out. So he said, hey, you being one is the biggest key to revival that's coming. And guess what they did? Everything except what Jesus told them to do. Here's just my thought, and it's not Bible, this is just Stephen. I think one of the reasons why there was so much time between the resurrection and Pentecost Sunday is because Jesus had to spend his time gathering people. Now I got to go to Emmaus and grab these two because they weren't listening to me. Now I got to go find Thomas because he went off on his own. Now they went off fishing. They were constantly doing the opposite that Jesus told them to do, and that is to stay one. Somebody say amen before I come up in your kitchen. What's the one thing that we always do when we don't know what life is looking like? We isolate ourselves. Come on now. As soon as we get into a position of, I'm just not sure what the future is going to look like. I'm just not sure. We, I'm going fishing. Uh, it, it's so difficult for us just to sit where Jesus left us last to connect with other believers and said, he said, if I'm going to be one, we're going to be one. By the way, the last thing that Jesus told you is your best defense against the enemy. 
As long as you stay one, you'll be good. But if you get drifting off on your own, oh, if I could preach. Man, it's Judas had just stayed with the pack. Do you understand if Judas has stayed with the pack even after he had betrayed Jesus? The story of Judas would not have been he betrayed Jesus and took his life. The story of Judas would have been this is the greatest outpouring of Jesus's grace that we have ever seen in our life. But because he isolated himself, his own guilt took him. Jesus didn't take him out. His own guilt did. We got to avoid the temptation to drift. The second thing is this. We got to get ready to camp out. If we're going to make it through this season of, I'm not quite sure what's next, you're going to have to get over this. I got to move, 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 move. I feel like Madagascar, I got to move it, move it. I've got to. No, you got to sit, sit, sit. You got to make a decision. I'm going to camp out wherever Jesus is. So here it is, the disciples, they said, hey, we're going back. Peter, here's the problem with leaders. Leaders are leaders. Pastor, how's that a problem? Because it all depends on where you're leading. You ever heard the verse where it says the gifts of God are irrevocable? Which means if God's gifted you for something, you're going to walk in it, whether you're walking in it for him or for yourself. And when Jesus looked at Peter and he said, you're the leader of my church on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter was the leader. But at this moment, he was a leader that was not surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he said, I'm walking away from where God called me to be, seven other disciples walked with him because he, be careful where you're leading people. Because if you're a leader, you're a leader. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And seven disciples said, hey, we're going with you. And they went out and guess what? They caught nothing. But can I remind you the last time they went fishing, they caught nothing as well? There's something about time that causes amnesia. That as we're sitting in this moment of, I'm not quite sure what the future looks like. I'm not quite sure what's next. We forget that we weren't really thrilled with the past either. We forget the fact that we were throwing out nets and bringing them up empty for months and months and months. And our prayer was, God, why am I stuck here? And then back there, he steps into our boat. He performs a miracle. He reveals himself to us. We start following him for a season. And then after his instructions get fuzzy, we do what, what the business world calls a doom loop, which is when you're not making progress, you go back to the last place you felt comfortable. And you forgot the fact that I was comfortable, but I was not fruitful. I was comfortable, but I was not fulfilled. I was comfortable, but I wasn't walking in the purpose and the plan that God had for me. I was comfortable. Comfort ain't all it's cracked up to be. Comfort feels good, but only for a moment. Because the frustration of not making progress will always supersede the comfort that we're feeling. But watch the grace of God. I understand my Jesus. He's grace. He's truth. He's savage. And he's ignorant. Jesus said, y'all got any fish? <laughs> How's it going for y'all out there? We haven't caught anything. Jesus like, I know. 
I moved all the fish to the right side of the boat. He said, throw your nets on the right side. They threw their nets down. I love, you got to understand, not one word in God's word is by accident. It says, but this time the nets didn't break. That was a reference to the miracle that Jesus had done in the beginning of the book of John when he first called them in. He said, hey, I'm going to do the same miracle for you to let you know that I'm still with you and I still have a plan for your life. But you got to understand there's a fresh favor on you since the resurrection. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. You can hold what you. What used to break you won't break you anymore. What used to overwhelm you won't overwhelm you anymore. What used to send you in the days of depression and discouragement, you now have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, baby. It ain't going to break you like it used to break you. You are now equipped to carry the call of God on your life. Says the nets were full, but this time they did not break. If I had time to preach says, when Peter saw the miracle, he saw Jesus. He was talking to Jesus and didn't realize it was Jesus. It's not until he saw the miracle that, oh, this is Jesus. There's a reason why Jesus does miracles in your life. A, this is the biggest reason, because he loves you. You, you. you don't need a crisis for a miracle. You don't need a pit for a miracle. You don't need a problem for, you just need... The love of Jesus. He's like, I see you. But another reason why Jesus does miracles in our lives is so that we could see him. And realize that even when I don't know where he is, his eyes are still on me. Even when I'm not quite sure what's next, he has not left me. Peter puts his cloak back on. If I had time to preach, it's talking about righteousness. Your cloak, the Bible says he's given us a cloak that is white as snow. It represents our standing in God. It's in that in-between season that we begin to lax our standards. That we begin to cast off the righteousness that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. That we begin to say, ah, it's no big deal. It is a big deal because you are called by God for a purpose. Peter jumps in the water. He swims to Jesus. And Jesus already has fish. He let them catch. Where did Jesus get his yeah, things I need to know? Things that may not necessarily make my life any better, but when I get to heaven, I, Jesus, where'd you get the fish? Because you weren't out in the water fishing with them. It just tells me everything that I'm going back to search for, Jesus already has. Everything that I feel like I'm missing out on, everything that I feel, oh man, I liked it back. No, it's better in your future than it was in your past. And it says they sat there and Jesus, it, it, I don't know if y'all from Baltimore. I'm from Baltimore. Baltimore, Saturday was Lake Trout Day. It was, you, and, and not Lake Trout from the county. I'm not talking about Baltimore County. I'm talking about down Park Heights, Poplar Grove. I'm talking about where they make the Lake Trout with little stuff that you can't tell what's in it, but you just know there's a little bit of Holy Ghost in there. Got the bones in there. You got to eat it with the Holy Spirit because if you eat it too fast, you're getting stabbed in the throat with one of those bones. And they got this Wonder Bread in there that I'm pretty sure it's shaving years off of your life, but it is building your spirit, man, up. <laughs> I need Jesus. Here is Jesus with his lake trout. So they got some fried fish, got some bread. 
and I have a fire. Somebody say, he has some fish. He has some bread. And he has a fire. One more time, just so I can feel like a preacher. He has some fish. He has some bread. And he has the fire. What do I do while I'm waiting for next? Make sure you're always going after fish. Make sure you have bread. And make sure you have fire. When I'm waiting on Jesus, I'm camping out where Jesus is. And just hear me, wherever Jesus is, there's going to be fish, there's going to be bread, and there's going to be fire. What do the fish represent? The fish represents the lost. It doesn't matter what season I'm in, and it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. My primary focus needs to be there are people that do not yet know Jesus, and it is my job to go get them and appoint them to the hope and the freedom and the salvation that I found. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said to them, he said, follow me. Somebody say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Come on, Columbia. Somebody say, I'm a follower of Jesus. He said, if you're going to follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Jesus said, here's, my, here's what I want to do for you. I want to teach you how to win lost people. I want to teach you how to... Do you understand your walk as a Christian? I will say this loses 50% of its purpose the second it becomes all about you. The second your pursuit of Jesus always becomes about your next breakthrough, your next miracle, your next prayer being responded to, you've missed half of what the kingdom of God is all about. He said, seek ye first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I will add everything unto you. We've been trapped in this place where, hey, what does my faith do for me? What does Jesus do for me? What, what, what's the church going to do for me? Do you understand the worst thing that can happen to you is you go to heaven? Like the worst thing that could happen in your life is you end up with Jesus, baby. It's not that bad. There are people that have not found the hope and the freedom. And Jesus said that needs to be our focus. So, 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 so what are we going to do at Union Church as we're figuring out all this merge and say, we're going to win the loss. That's what we're going to do. What are we going to do when we figure out where to have prayer? We're going to win the loss. That's what we're going to do. What are we going to do when we're going to win the loss? That's what we're going to do because that's what God has called us to do. The second thing is that I don't just have fish, I have bread. Somebody say bread. Romans 10, 17 says this, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Bread represents revelation from God's word. God told the children of Israel, always have fresh bread in the temple. In other words, always make sure there's a fresh word that you're receiving from God, that you are constantly building your faith in God's word. Why? Because when the moment of breakthrough comes, it's too late to build your faith. When God is getting ready to open a door for you, it's too late to build your confidence. When God is getting ready to take you to a new level of influence, it's too late to be confident in the gifting that he's placed inside of you. This in-between season that feels like a curse is actually a gift. Because it's a moment for us to cram, to, to study our faith. And to say, no, no, I'm the head, I'm not the tail. 
No, 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 no. I'm not walking in generational poverty. God has called me to have more than enough so that I can be generous on every single occasion. No, sickness is not my inheritance. By his stripes, I have been healed. God has given me gifts that are bringing me before great. You got to know that your gifts bring you before great men before your gifts bring you anywhere. Because if you don't have a revelation that your gifts open doors for you when the door opens for you, oh, no, no, not me. No, I don't do. Why? Who, me? Why? No, no. Yes, me. Thank you. I've I've been waiting for this door to open up. I knew this door was going to open up. The word told me the door was opening up. I was patient. I didn't drift. But now it's open. I'm not going to apologize because the word said that this was coming. I'm telling the in-between season is the moment to prepare for breakthrough. I got to speed up and then there's the fire. Somebody say fire. Oh, he said never be lacking in zeal. Uh, we're, you know, two weeks in a union and I'm trying to be nice and, you know, sedity and all that kind of stuff. But you know what drives me nuts? I can't stand it when people just walk up in the house of God. Like it's Target. <laughs> Let's see what they got today. <laughs> see if anything catches my fancy. <laughs> Let's see if they on fire. No, bring your own fire. It's, it's, this is like back in college with BYOB. Bring, bring your own liquor. Bring your own. No, no, no. Bring your own fire. Bring, bring your own passion. Bring your own fervent. Bring your own desperation for the hand of God to move. Because here's what I know. If two or three are gathered in his name, there he will be also. And if he's there, we're standing under an open heaven. Not next Sunday, not three months from now. This is the Sunday where cancer gets dried up. This is the Sunday where di- diabetes disappears. This is the Sunday when signs and wonders and miracles break out there's a fire that is burning in my soul and and I don't need a church to fan it I don't need other people to be excited it's a fire that I carry for myself some of us have lost the fire of the Holy Spirit and our frustration is not that nothing's happening our frustration is that we've lost the fire because when you have the fire of the Holy Spirit inside of you, know it's just a matter of moments. I got to stay ready because the Holy Spirit, he is a suddenly God. And suddenly he's about to do something. Let's land this plane. You can come play. The third thought is this. You got to know that you're a part of the revival. In the in-between season when... When it looks like nothing's happening, it, 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 you're not quite sure. You're uncomfortable and you're tempted to go back to your comfort zone. You have to encourage yourself in the Lord. You got to, I got to stay here. I, I can't drift because I play a part in what's coming. No, 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 I'm not invisible. I'm not insignificant. I'm not unimportant. I play a part. Jesus will set people up, y'all. Y'all got fish? Come, come, I have fish. Sit down. He's feeding the disciples. I mean, it's like kumbaya up in there. Next thing, Jesus flips on him. Peter, what were you doing out there? Peter, you went back fishing? Peter, do you love me? Y'all, it got intense real fast. And, and here's what people do when they get caught. 
They get offended. <laughs> well, I, you shouldn't come to me like that, Jesus. What, what do you mean? Jesus, you, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I thought I did, but you asked me twice. I'm not quite sure. Jesus, uh, Peter, tend my sheep. Oh, if we had time to preach. You don't just get to feed them and leave them. You don't get to, y'all don't just get to post a little Bible verse on your Instagram and go on about your business. You, you don't get to just share the message with that coworker and then leave them. The Holy Spirit, no, 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 the Holy Spirit's in you. He said, feed them and tend to them. Take care of my lamb. Y'all, you understand how funny the Bible is? You know what Peter said to feed my sheep? Tend my Jesus is trying to set Peter up for revival. And Peter, like my little four-year-old girl, what about Roman? Doesn't Roman have to go to bed too? John 21, 21, Peter seeing this said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come. Jesus was from Baltimore, y'all. What's it to you? Jesus said, don't worry about what somebody else is doing. You just worry about the call of God in your life and the fact that I've called you to feed my sheep, to tend my sheep, to feed my land. I, if we only understood the way that God wants to use us, and we're concerned about this person's attitude and that person's purpose and that person's future and, and what this, Jesus said, if, if I want to deal with, I'll just, just, what's it to you? You just worry about the fact that there is a call of God on your life, that I have anointed you for this moment, that I've put words of hope and freedom in your mouth, that doors are getting ready to open up in front of you. Don't you worry about what I'm doing with everybody else. You just know that there's purpose in front of you. And if you would just follow me, if you would just love me, you're going to find, if you ask Peter, do you think you could be chopping somebody's ear off? And then preaching the greatest revival history has ever seen. But 60 days apart, Peter would have told you not a chance. But that's Bible. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive what God has in store for you. We look at the mundane unpredictability of our lives right now. And we think what we see predicts what 60 days from now looks. That's not how God works. Revival is coming. Breakthrough is coming. Open doors are coming. Not just in this church, but in your family, in your business, in your community. And hear me, it's too late to get ready when the door opens. So don't let the unknown lull you to sleep. There's a call of God on your life. God is getting ready to do something through you supernaturally. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we are grateful. God, that even when we don't see what's going on, you are at work. God, you're opening doors. You have plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. God, I pray that you would be our anchor, that you would help us not to drift back to what's comfortable, but to camp out where you are until you tell us what to do next. Wherever you are, whether you're in this room and 
Columbia and Baltimore watching online, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. Here's the truth. We all drift to a certain extent. This is a moment of realignment. God, give us back a focus on the lost. God, give us back a fervor for your word. God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would burn in our hearts afresh. Maybe, if you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor, I'm not drifted. I've just never come to Jesus. I've never allowed him to be the director, the leader of my life. I can't say that I'm pursuing God the way that you're talking about or that he's a part of my life, but I want to make that decision. If that's you, this moment is for you. Whether there was a season of your life where you're following God with passion or you've never followed God before, but you just sense in your heart, I'm ready to make him the Lord of my life. If that's you, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to find me. Thank you for loving me, for wanting me, for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Today, I surrender to you. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person? Come on, that's a golf clap. Can you just act like people just made the greatest decision ever?